3: The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together.
4: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. This is episode number... 726. Not quite. Nope. Not quite. We're getting there, though, right? Uh, well,
1: you know, we're going in that direction. We're, we're going up.
4: We're going up. Yeah, yeah. This is episode one more than the last one, mm-hmm. and I'm one of your hosts, Matt Tebbe. I'm here with my good friend, Ben Sternke. Hey, guys. Ben is uh, learning how to ask for help
1: these days. <laughs> it's true. Yeah? It's true. It's one of my uh, one of my big uh, realizations, yeah.
4: Yeah. Can you say, more, say more about that?
1: Well, uh, I... I kind of I was just talking with somebody about this this morning. Um but yeah, I uh I tend to think uh that everything's all up to me. Um and uh I should probably take take on the responsibilities that come my way and I should probably be able to do them myself. Yes, kind of a a, a burden that I labor under with a, that's you know unconsciously. Yep. And so just learning to learning that uh, I'm not meant to do things by myself.
4: The allure you know? of autonomy. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and the, and the yeah. lie of uh, individual mm-hmm, effort. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is related to what we're talking about here. We're in a series talking about power. That's right. It's, uh, the church has avoided power for a long time. We've sort of tried to sweep abuses of power or misunderstandings of power under the rug. Hmm. Uh, I think the people who have paid the most for that have been people not in power. Right. Yeah. So when you
1: say we've avoided power, you mean like we've avoided dealing with this issue? Yeah,
4: we've we've sort of had this elephant in the room, monster in the closet, mm-hmm. that we have punted. We pushed pushed it down the floor, so or down the down the field. So there's been, you know, women or children or or uh, marginalized minority people who have paid the price for our abuses of power. Yeah. But because, um, you know, mostly white dudes have been in charge. We've been able to not deal with it, and we're in this cultural moment where it's becoming increasingly difficult
1: to not deal with
4: to not deal with it. And uh, to which we say, "Amen, praise God, thanks be to God." Uh, And so, part of our podcast series is exploring all the avenues, the arenas that power is at work, and how we're waking up to that and noticing that, and what sort of response then do we have? Uh, personally, Ben, Matt, and um, in gravity, but also just for our listeners, what how can we respond to that and how can we participate in the kingdom in that? And so, today, our guest, somebody who's no stranger to power, <laughs> David Fitch, Dr. Reverend David Fitch, welcome to the podcast, Dave.
2: I have no idea how to take that, Matt Tebby. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay, so David, you're like, people don't know you, you're like six foot four,
1: right? Three.
4: Maybe at one point. Back in your Wheaton days, were you six foot four?
1: This is like an old guy
4: thing. (laughs) Start shrinking.
2: (laughs) I've never been six foot four. Okay,
4: six foot three, uh, svelte, 205 Mm -hmm. pounds, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, But, you know, you have a very large, gregarious magnanimous even personality, you know, plus you're a dude. Uh, so large right. large white dudes tend to carry uh, cultural power in their p- stature and in their social location. Do you do you disagree?
2: No, I don't. And, and by the way, I'm a type 8. What do you call it in that Enneagram stuff you guys like? Uh, I'm an 8.
4: Yeah. Oh, We're so you're type 8, and, yeah. Yeah. So Eight- that
2: makes me even worse, right? <laughs>
4: <laughs> I don't know if it makes you worse, but um, not only do you have cultural power, but most Enneagram 8s, people want them to have power. People look to 8s to sort of be confident, call the shots. Do And 8s are all too available and willing to do that.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
4: Right? That describes
2: me to a T. <laughs> I I walk into a room... As a white male like you described, and I just feel this uh, this uh, gravitational pull, and I I am now the last ten years it has not been I mean whiteness white privilege white maleness all that stuff has been under we're all aware of it now and I I'm resisting the pull, but it's very hard to get out of so I yes I just want to say a hearty amen to everything you said no stranger to power and the complicity of it and the problems of it and the excesses of it. And I think it's probably been one of the top five things that I thought the most about and tried to figure out in my life as a pastor uh, and a leader in the church.
4: Yes. Yes. And so we could, we could actually have any number of conversations today about how that influences us and impacts us. But we uh, you know, we're friends Dave and um, we've been talking about, a conversation that you and the pastors at your church, Peace of Christ Church in Westmont, Illinois, um, are having about uh, one aspect of how power is at work in our body, in our body uh, members, in our church, and in our um, relationships with men and women. Would you set up uh, what that conversation is
2: Well, uh, okay. Uh, I think we're going now back to last year. Uh, We were, as a church, we're we're a church plant, and now we've just got organized formally as part of uh, our denomination, Christian Missionary Alliance. And uh, now we have to nominate elders, and uh, we already had women pastors. But the elder question now uh, uh, revealed that there are two or three people out of maybe 50 uh, 45 adults, uh, that were having issues with women being elders. And so we had a, we had a pushback and we had to open up space to deal with the conflict because it, it was revealed. So wait, uh, so wait, so
4: wait, you had, you had uh, members of your church who didn't see eye to eye with the pastoral leadership team of your, uh, stance or approach on women being elders and pastors.
2: Right, I mean, it was assumed kind of that women could be pastors, but strangely enough, women elders was a different uh, level on the question, and so so you conflict- met so you
4: met as pastors, and you put out a position paper, <laughs> and you put it on a tab on your website, and then you told people to uh, agree to this in terms. This is how you become a member: you agree to our position. Is that what you did? No. <laughs> Okay. No. All right. Well, that's the only imagination we have for how to settle these disputes. Yeah, so what- I will say this.
2: I learned I learned early on. I mean, I got saved the second time. In the Christian missionary alliance, you can get saved twice.
4: Yeah, you almost have to if you want to be a pastor.
2: Right. And <laughs> but 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 it happened for me because it happened. And I at the age of thirty-two I learned at this church. Uh, and I don't want to mention this name because it's now a very large church in Chicago uh, that this is the way you did leadership the way you just described and I got pummeled
4: mm.
2: pummeled by just dared to bring up the issue of women in leadership as we were about ready to uh, uh, think about having a new pastor at that church and uh, uh, another another pastor at that church so anyways I uh once again, I start thinking very, very deeply about the way the church is supposed to work hmm. and, and the way we engage in issues of conflict and change and discernment in the church, right there in that. So,
4: okay, so this has been a long—this has been a 20-plus year, not to uh, age dox you here, but 20-plus year process for you, and you have convictions, settled convictions, that you've lived in for decades, but as a leader of your church— You are inhabiting a different way of how to lead other people in your convictions, not by lording it over them, not by uh, sort of decreeing your convictions. But but how have you guys? What have you? How have you done this? If it's not a position paper?
2: Yeah. Well. Okay. So so we now realize we have uh, an issue we discuss, and uh, we realize that we've got to discern the issue should women be elders at our church. Okay. We had assumed women should be elders at our church. We had a history of women being pastors already in our church. Some of the listeners might be wondering, well, my goodness, how can that be? Pastors, elders, aren't they? Not 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 necessarily so in the church policy I'm a part of. And so um, now we put it before the congregation. Uh, if it, if you go individually to the one or two, in this case, I think it was two, maybe three people, and there was no agreement, there was no, it wasn't just a simple misunderstanding, or it couldn't even be sorted out in a two to three hour conversation. Matthew eighteen says, bring some more people in. If it doesn't, then let's discern it as a church, and. Uh, so we called a meeting what we used to at Life on the Vine call a Friday night town hall meeting. Uh, you remember, you remember those back oh, yeah. in the good old days? Oh yeah, Tebby, when you were young, you no? Know?
4: <laughs> yeah, I was young and foolish. <laughs> yeah. You were
2: young. Can I tell? I'm not,
4: can I tell? Quick, I'm not the
2: old man here on the radio, folks. It's true.
4: Can I tell a quick story about that Friday night meeting? Can I just? Can I interrupt? I remember one of those Friday night meetings. We're sitting around the Eucharist table, and uh, uh, someone was realizing, Dave, that you weren't a red-blooded, patriotic, nationalistic Christian, and it was scandalizing them. And they looked at you in this really tense moment, and they said, "Would would you? Are you saying that you wouldn't even pledge allegiance to the flag?" <laughs> and you there was like this implied gasp in their question and i remember thinking oh my gosh this is going to get ugly this is going to get really <laughs> ugly and you leaned back in your chair and you did that thing where you put your hands you know up on your up on your chest you know and you kind of leaned back and you looked at them and then you said i would if that flag says jesus is lord <laughs> And then you, and then you laughed like that, and they laughed too. And I thought, "Oh, I'm so glad Dave is here." <laughs> uh, good times, man. Good times.
2: All right, just a, a little interlude moment, ladies and gentlemen, Sorry. for Matt and Dave to relive the old days. <laughs> um, but.
4: Where were we now? So you're, these Friday night meetings we had a Life on the Vine where we'd sit around and discern things, talk about stuff like I just mentioned. You're doing that yeah. now at Peace of Christ with these two people via Matthew 18.
2: Yeah, yeah. We, we we moved from, very quickly, and I can't remember all the steps except to say that the, that the uh, pastors discern that we need to revisit. Now, by revisit, please don't misunderstand that we're revisit means none of the past and none of what we've established and none of how God's worked in the past is irrelevant. Uh, all of a sudden we've had women and pastors for five years at, at peace of Christ. Now we're revisiting it. And we're, we're actually thinking about kicking the women out. No, that is not what's <laughs> going on here. In this case though, we are making space to hear very carefully the voices that have not been heard or at least, uh, not been heard enough, and we are discerning what God is doing here in this conflict. And and here's what I'd like to say. The next seven weeks on Women in Ministry, we submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mm. We heard the teachers. We heard the pastors. We listened. very Almost more than anything else, the most important thing that happened is we listened to those voices. By the way, there were some people— Who I believe left our church because they were offended that we would even revisit this question because they took revisit means we, you know, we are going to dismiss or disregard what God has already done Mm -hmm. in saying women are to be in ministry alongside men at Peace of Christ Church. Uh, so, but the fact is, we need to open up space for what God's going to do. So, for the next seven weeks, we studied Scripture, and the most important thing that happened in the seven weeks is we listened to one another. Mm-hmm. Then, at the end of the seven weeks, Pastor Jean Sharp, a woman, said, "took a we, we led us through a consensus, and even those who were the the two or three, and I believe now there were two who were still not." Fives. Fives means you're totally in agreement with the new, real, you know, and so the so the new statement went something like, "We, a piece of Christ, affirm women in ministry and as elders, in such and such a way." Blah blah blah. I can't remember the statement, but everyone agreed. Uh, if you agree totally, it's a five. If you think it's of the devil and it's to be <laughs> resisted, it's one. If you have If you have reservations for, and I can't remember all the descriptors, but there were a few fours who didn't quite get, couldn't fully get on board, but they said something like this. They said, uh, even though we can't completely agree, we trust this community and what God is doing here and how the Holy Spirit is leading so we can go along and follow. Okay. Now that's, and, and the tension that, Left the room, and the unity of that moment was a galvanizing moment for the kingdom of God that pushed us further into the kingdom. Okay. It was a great time.
4: Okay. So less
1: less important than what position do we land on, and you know, did we fight for what was right? That's for you. That's less important than the unity that you guys came to, the reconciliation that you guys came to. Uh, in the midst of the process, right? So the pr- the process, the goal of the process was reconciliation, unity, this galvanizing moment for the kingdom of God, rather than did we come down on the right position? Is that what you're saying? Um,
2: uh, I would add there to reconciliation, unity, uh, discernment. discernment. This was an act, this was a communal act of discernment, but you're right in that we're not necessarily discerning the end all and be all like in a, at Nicaea, where yeah. there was sort of a Constantinian vibe going on there. This is, we're discerning what God is calling us to do right now. Yeah. Can you going in, yeah, and it was a unifying moment that pushed us further into the yeah. future. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't like we all have to be fives. There can be no disagreement whatsoever. I don't believe that's the way discernment works. Mm. There are still those who have doubts, still those who are not going to be totally on board, but they can trust what they have witnessed, seen, and participated in, in the communal uh, discernment process of the kingdom of God.
1: Right and none of that would have happened unless you actually went through the process of listening the hard work of listening it, it wasn't like that that consensus statement was developed you know in a in an ivory tower and then presented to the church and then you said okay five or one you know go for it but actually like in the process of listening um, that's that's how you discern what god is at work doing in the congregation and that's what you're discerning not not just a position but how is god at work here For our for our local congregation, right? I think that's a big paradigm shift.
4: It is a big paradigm shift. Go ahead, Dave.
2: Oh, I I can. I just wanted to say it. it can seem trite Mm. to talk so much about listening, but and and saying it's hard work is maybe uh, a reach or an overstep. Uh, But but for most leaders like me who have been raised in hierarchies, Uh, we do not know how to settle down, get unanxious and be present to somebody else and be present to God's presence in a social space. And, and that, that doesn't, it's actually the opposite of work. It's the giving up of effort Mm. and the patience and settling in. But for most type A white males, hierarchical, idiots it's, it's work it's work you've got to learn how to do it and i don't know why, i don't i just it's it, it's revolutionary and and frankly uh I, it, it's so countercultural. i got into a bit of a mess I, I i won't call it a mess but i got into it seems like i often go into spaces and talk about the role of the leader going first and submitting to the other in the act of mutual submission one to another ephesians five twenty, and uh it seems like people can't the word submit is too charged with power laden with violence absorbed into the world of violence that will never get there yes and that's why this is such freaking hard work is yes. that okay to say in the air oh yeah christian swears
4: so. we, we use christian swears
1: all the time yeah that one's all right yeah that's Borderline, though. That one, that one is borderline, I think. Yeah. So we'll have to see. Maybe we'll bleep it out.
4: Maybe we'll get some unsubscribes after that. <laughs> Dave, uh, I want to... you What you described, that process you described, uh, I would guess is, is triggering for many people. Um, yes. Here's why. Many yes. people have been invited into that arrangement by their leader or pastor, and it has been this uh, left hand of come, 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 we're going to talk about this and discern, but very quickly they realize the leader has an agenda. They have... Uh, their hand behind their back. They're not being honest with us. Mm -hmm. They're trying to passive-aggressively control this conversation. They're manipulating things behind the doors with other conversations, trying to get advocates and people on board so they can get their way. They're uh, minimizing and silencing uh, alternative voices or uh, contrary voices in a really kind way, but in a really decisive way. So it's like this bait and switch. It's like, come be a part of this discernment thing, but... I've already figured out what we're doing and this is just a ruse to get you to agree with me.
1: Mm.
2: Yes, uh, uh, but, but maybe it's even worse than that. Uh, <laughs> Ooh. same people have been abused and victimized by these leaders and, and in their using of their power. And uh, so the idea of submitting at all to this power cycle is abusive in and of itself. Yeah. And that's a dog on shame. Because I, I want people to understand to submit is an act of strength and it's a subversive tactic to undermine the principalities and powers at work in the in the power games of our culture. Yes. And I believe our church begin- beginning right across the street from me over here at Willow Creek and over there at Harvest Bible Chapel, got absorbed into the world's power games. Mm. And they said, and they probably said something like this, well, it's too impractical to follow Jesus.
4: <laughs> yeah, it always says, is, yeah.
2: Who says, it shall not be so. You shall not usurp. You shall not lord it over. Well, that's just too impractical. We got a church to run. Yeah. And we gave up being the church for the world's abusive uh, ways of power and this is the world we're sucked up into and until we get until we recover mutual submission I contend I'm a white guy I need to be questioned and listen on this but uh, my my suggestion is until we get recover the practice and process of mutual submission the church is always going to be absorbed into the world's bullcrap and we're always going to be playing these games where we look more like the world than jesus and we end up in the big freaking mess we're in today
4: yeah uh amen let's sing a hymn yeah yeah take up an offering uh yeah dave but here, here's the deal. We had uh, our friend Adam Gustin on, who's written a book called Becoming a Just Church, and he uses this concept of um, high ground and low ground people. And what he means by that is, uh, and he talks in his church and his book about how high ground people, the death for them, looks different than the low ground people. What does he mean by high ground and low ground? I don't, Just in case I don't, we missed that. I don't remember. Can we pause and I want to read this book again? <laughs> no, high ground people are like people like you and me, Dave. We're people that have a social location in middle or affluent. We're white, so our our race gives us sort of cultural cachet. Um, Our gender gives us sort of power. Um, You know, we already talked about your svelte stature, you know. (laughs) And I didn't even mention how handsome you are, but I could. You know what I mean? Like all these things we use to sort of traffic in worldly power, right? Yeah. Well, then there's low ground people. There's the poor. There's the marginalized. There's the oppressed. There's the prisoner. There's the felon. There's the addict. There's the, you know. Yeah, the picture
1: is when the water rises like if you live on the low ground you're in trouble if you live on the high ground you can you can ride it out
4: yeah you ride it out yeah. so here's i'm going to push back on you dave cuz th- we need to clarify this yeah. the, yes the word submit to a low ground person triggers yes. generational trauma and sin because it's yeah. been used as a either implicitly or explicitly been used as a way to get there Sub, uh, their docile submission to their oppression and exploitation.
1: Yeah. It's a way yes. of getting them to cooperate with these the, power structures the that we're in charge of.
4: Right, the yep. oppressive power, right? Yep. yep. Um, and so, if I agree with you, if I agree with you that mutual submission in the church with the high ground and low ground people is the way forward, how do we invite these low ground people, which is the majority of the people in our churches, by the way, the majority of the people yes. who don't have official titles and institutional power are going to identify as low ground in these conversations. How do we hold out submission to them that honors their trauma, their the tragedy that's befallen them because of that word, and also yes. invites them into something that's redemptive, not damaging for them?
2: Yeah. So, uh one of the things i say very quickly is uh the the person in perceived power always goes first this is the principle of jesus himself the first shall be last meaning the first shall submit first mm. uh so so uh one way so so Right after, so so you remember the Luke twenty four, the the convers the, the disciples are doing that thing they always do. Uh, who's going to sit at the right? Who's going to sit at the left? I want the position of power, yeah. power in the world terms. And Jesus says something like, "You idiots, you're doing it again. It <laughs> shall not be so. It, you know how the Gentiles lord it over you. You know how they rule. The tyrants rule over you. It shall not be so among you." And then he points to the table, and he says something like as the Father has conferred on me a kingdom, so I confer on you. And this is the way it is. The, the first thing he does, or at least the first thing I think he did in the Johannine account is uh, wash the disciples' feet mm-hmm. first. He goes first. He submits first. The leader by going first. So I, am, I frankly admit, I sometimes forget that the reason why submit works so well is because I do it. Regularly, I submit to you, and and this this feels so good for me because I'm feeling the angst of the person looking up to me and feeling they're seeing their in their eyes the power that they presume I wield. Yeah, and I want them to know no, not not so among us as the Gentiles do. I submit to you,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and it opens up space. Okay, so that's. The first thing I have to say.
4: Yeah. Do I have time for one more? Well, you got yes. Sure. Say it again. Say more. Okay, the second thing is, I want people to
2: know please understand submit is a tactic, not a strategy of power. Mm. It is a tactic of the weak to undermine the principalities and the powers. And so when Paul says with the very same word submit In in Romans 13, 1, submit yourselves to the governing authorities. He's talking about Nero. Hmm. Most people believe Nero was in power two to five years when Paul wrote that letter to Rome. He was already beginning his his campaign of, of persecuting Christians. Before that was Claudius, who had already persecuted Christians in the Roman authority. He was hardly saying, oh, go there and submit your bodies to being tortured and killed for Christ. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, by submitting to these powers, you are, A, saying you know who you are, you know who is Lord, and you are saying out of position to strength, here's what I believe is true.
1: Hmm.
2: I submit to you. And if the ruling power reacts with not without corresponding submission— he is revealed, or she is revealed. Mostly, it's a he. He is revealed as false. The truth is revealed. Now, now this this happens a lot. So, so forgive me for mentioning the name Bill Hybels. Bill, yeah, we've we've I already pre- mentioned. We've yeah, mentioned. Yeah,
4: so, so just to be cl- just to be clear, we've we've really thought along long and hard about. Uh, we don't want to dunk on or throw these people under the bus. You know, you mentioned Harvest, James McDonald, Bill Hybels, but we also can't ignore. And pretend like this stuff isn't happening because it is. And it's having a major, it's actually not just this sequestered little unique happening, but it's indicative of what's happening mm. throughout the entire church. So um, we're naming this as a way of repentance rather than a way of, of condemnation. Yeah, Dave? Right.
2: Uh, not only repentance, but as the way forward.
4: Yes. yes. Good. Okay. So I just if want, that's a little caveat.
2: Yeah, because I believe if Bill Hybels, now I I got I got problems with Bill Hybels' Dutch Calvinist heritage, which I think doesn't understand the world's differentiate the world's power from the power of the presence of Christ sufficiently. Oh boy, and Jamie so, Smith,
4: if you're listening, uh, we'll have you on next oh, week.
2: Okay. Easy, easy. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. I do love the Calvinists, <laughs> but but my problem here is if Bill Hybels had known. That the minute I don't submit to that woman who says, I submit to you, you had done this and this and this to me. You've done it to other people. I've seen you. I submit to you. This is wrong. And you uh gotta make it right. And you gotta make it right with me by repenting. And we gonna need to make this right for the sake of the kingdom, not only your own personal sanctification. I believe if Bill Hybels would have known that the only the only uh avenue of Christ is to submit, listen, discern, and say, hmm, I need to listen here. And not put your dukes up, but Mm -hmm. submit. But, But submit means I listen, I listen carefully, and I ask more questions if I don't agree. When you said A and B, I didn't quite get C. When did you see me do C? Because Bill Hybels obviously had some learning to do, too. But Instead, he, I believe, from all the accounts, I'm just going by the accounts everyone else has been reading in the public media, he didn't. He dismissed it. He said it's not true. He armed himself. He got some people alongside, used his power against the the person. To me, that says the church is not the church anymore. And the person who brought it to Bill Hybels if you know because then we bring a third person then we bring the church in it didn't happen that way so that person's got to leave and probably go to the media or Julie Royce or somebody else yeah because right. it's no longer the church
4: yeah right so what I hear you say right. that's challenging to me Dave <clears throat> uh one of the things you're saying is challenging to me is that we have we have missed what the power of the kingdom is and what you're what I hear you proposing is that the power of the kingdom is in submission. Yes. So this yes.
2: submission actually opens space for the presence of God to flood the room and for him to work in and among us.
4: So this is also this is also this is the inner logic of Ephesians five, eighteen through twenty, right? So Paul says, Be filled with the Spirit, singing songs, hymns, spiritual songs. Uh, singing and making melody to God with all your hearts, right? And submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the being filled by the Spirit is a part of submitting to one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yes. Yeah? Yes. Um,
2: and do you realize, by the way, Paul never asks women to submit to their husbands. He says, submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ, wives to husbands— doesn't say the word submit again. He's just assuming it's out of this mutuality uh-huh. of the spirit that you're talking about. And then he says, Husbands do the same, only die for your wives, which means amp it up about a thousand
4: times. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah. a
2: whole dynamic which then subverts all the evils and principalities at work in marriage, in the economics of slavery, in everything else. It subverts and undermines it. I don't think people get how revolutionary no. it is.
4: No, right, right, right. Paul's a misogynist, Dave. Paul's a misogynist, and Romans thirteen says that um, you know uh, whoever's president is is ordained, ordained by God. You gotta get you gotta right, get just, get your get your evangelical hermeneutics straight, buddy.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, that just reveals how much we absorb the language of the gospel into the discourse of violence we're a part of. Yes. In the United
4: States. Of yes. 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 Um. So, man, we're just getting started here. Let me let me just let me throw this out. I'm a pastor who's listening. Uh, I am actually <laughs> right
1: and participating. Full
4: disclosure: I'm a pastor who's listening, and I'm hearing you describe this process, and all of my, uh, I'm I'm really uncomfortable because uh, I've got these two people in my church mm. who are constantly complaining and critiquing everything I do, and you're telling me to. Uh, let them hijack the process of our discernment in our church and submit to them. And and it sounds like what you want me to do, Dave, is to replace the tyranny of the majority mm-hmm. with a tyranny of the minority. So tell me why I'm not hearing you correctly.
2: Uh, yeah. Well... Like the first thing I think I want to say is this is a discipline. This isn't uncontrolled chaos. There's a discipline here. It's a practice. It actually turned into the sacrament of penance. And there's, there's, a, there's a set of things we do. The first thing we do is we go to the person we believe has sinned against us directly. Like that woman went to Bill Hybels the first time. Probably though there was such a culture of fear mm-hmm. abuse and violence that it took her 10 years to do it or whatever. Yeah. But The point is, by the way, that's on, that's on Bill Hybels if you ask me, but that's another question. Uh, um, and so no, this, you must foster this. Uh, you must foster this culture that a person can come to you and say you've sinned against me. And it not be a threat to you, but it actually be an invitation for both of you to explore what the Holy Spirit's doing. And 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 it's an opportunity for me and my sanctification. I often say, what's the worst thing that can happen to you if someone comes to you and says, You're pastor, you've sinned against me. A, if you listen to them and they're wrong, and then they bring a third person in, or a fourth, or the whole church, what can go wrong except the revealing That you're actually not this person that person says you are. Hmm. But what can go right? One to one, you can hear that person and say, you know what? You are right. And I need to look at A, B, and C in my life. Will you pray with me? I confess, every time you confess a sin to somebody, especially to someone you sinned against, and you come to an agreement, James says you get healed. James says you get restored. James says you grow a little bit in your soul. Who cannot want that?
4: <laughs> so, Martin Luther know, didn't. Um, Epistle of straw.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> By the way, normally uh, I'm a, normally I, I go along with your humor, but i I think I'm just so amped up about this subject I know, that yeah. I can't make any jokes about it. I know. I just I know. this is the biggest thing, the harm. And we're caught in a a huge mess in this culture. I got a book coming out by the way, the the church of us versus them and it's mm-hmm. this is what we become. We be, t- become typified typified by the violence of the world and this is the only way out. So anyways, no, there's no chaos involved here. There's actually a legitimate process that always leads to kingdom. We start with one do they listen? We go to two if they don't, three, and then we go to the elders, and then we go to the community, those who are interested. This has become a too important and of an issue, yeah. and we stand before the church. And are we sufficient enough in our in our standing in the Lordship of Christ to be able to trust him that this will lead to kingdom? We mm-hmm. got to be.
4: Yeah, Dave, even, even yeah. what you're describing, you're using Matthew 18 as a reconciling, submitting process that discerns the kingdom. And I didn't learn it like that. I learned Matthew 18 as, this is the protocol through which the authorities of the church put people under discipline and punish them.
1: Mm.
2: Yes, I've had this battle with, uh, I'll call them neo-reformed types from, from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School.
4: Never heard of that place. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've, had this, I've had this little uh, back and forth with them on this text. Uh, this is a Deuteronomic law being enforced by Jesus. Actually, Jesus never does that. <laughs> he always takes the Mosaic law and takes it to its truest intent. So he turns it on its head and mm. makes it a communal practice where he is present in the middle of which binding and loosing, which are which is basically the keys of the kingdom take yeah. place. Yeah. So mm. yeah, it, it, if you're reading it through that one lens, good luck to you. Mark Driscoll's coming after you and he's going to enforce Matthew eighteen
4: on you. But that's <laughs> not, that is not, yeah, the intent of yeah. Jesus. Well, I think I think that interpretation reveals the misappropriation, a misunderstanding of what power in the kingdom is. Mm. Right. So we've we've seen that the we've we've just inherited sort of a construct that power is this hierarchical use
1: of control, coercion, Re- coercion, yeah, kind of making and, things, making other people do things. That and, we want them to do,
4: yes, and if we refer to Matthew eighteen as church discipline, or we refer to Matthew eighteen as church reconciliation it it is the chasm mm-hmm. between understanding power in mm-hmm. my in my and this is my opinion yeah power from a worldly perspective or from a jesus perspective
1: mm. yeah. yeah
4: what is yeah. power unto? Is it unto discipline and punishment, or is it unto restoration and reconciliation? Well, what does the cross reveal
1: mm-hmm
2: um, this, this is a huge, huge, big deal for me. And since your podcast is on power, I should probably say a few words about it, but I'll try to say it as few, few as I can. But there are two ways to view power in the world. Um, there is power of coercion, which I believe is power of the world. And then there's the power of God by his presence. And And going back to Luther after the breakup of the Roman Empire, medieval church, okay, he saw the right hand and the left hand, okay, the right hand of, of coercion, or the right hand of the spirit, the left hand of coercion. And and he said there are two powers. Well, anyways, all I want to say is the power of coercion can be used to preserve society like police force, government force, even getting things done in your business, but it will never be redemptive. This is the work of God through his presence. And if we try to do the redemptive work through the coercive preservatory work, we shall not see redemption in the world. We shall not see restorative. God works through his presence. He's love, and he, and it does, he does, let me put it this way, he does get things done, believe me, he gets things done <laughs> yeah, yeah. in ways you could never imagine, but we'll never let him do it because we're so convinced you have to get it done
1: by the world's power, yeah, yeah, so part of what I'm hearing part of what I'm hearing you say if I'm a pastor listening like you said and and you are and i and I am um is, number one, I have to trust, if I'm going to make this move, if I'm, if I'm really going to learn to lead in a new way and, and try to open up spaces where the power of God uh, through his presence can be revealed, number one, I have to trust that God is present and at work in the conflicts in my church. They aren't problems to be solved or like little rebellions to be quelled, but they are opportunities for God's kingdom to break in in a new way through reconciliation, yeah, yes. and discernment. Amen. So I have to believe that. Number two, I have to then shift my goal, and, and I may not have even been conscious that this was my goal, but shift my goal from the maintaining of my position and my power, my status, my privilege, or the rightness of, of, of what I'm doing. Um, I have to shift my goal from that to the goals of the kingdom right the the goals of reconciliation, the goals of restoration um so I have to shift my so the so one of the things that happens then for me is i like the best thing that could happen to me is that I get to repent that somebody shows me that I've been wrong and I see that as a great thing oh that's wonderful, thank you for showing me that right i have to shift i have to shift my goal to that to that kind of reality yeah where that's that's a beautiful thing that somebody would have the courage to come and share that I've hurt them. Yeah. Right.
4: And that's, and the tragedy is we've inherited a leadership paradigm and a power paradigm where that's the worst thing that can happen to me. Mm.
2: Yeah. But this is, this is the leadership the world is longing for. Yes. And this is the leadership after the big messes we have witnessed in the church and the collapse yes. of moral collapse of leadership in the, in the large churches in Chicago, for instance, mm-hmm. this is the leadership Christians are looking for mm-hmm. and it will revolutionize who you are and your church. And it gets back to the point, if I could just repeat it again, that I submit really only works when the leaders go first, when mm-hmm. the leaders in perceived power go first. By the way, perceived power, because we are all mutual participants in power, no one's hey. over against anybody else. Uh, but, the, but too often, the white guy is in perceived power. He needs to submit to open up space for that mutuality.
4: Yes, yeah, so we don't demand submission and we demonstrate it. We invite people into that safe space at the foot of the cross mm. and we allow God to work, which means we don't get to control the outcome. We don't get to, we don't get our preferences always met. Like being a leader then isn't making sure my preferences, which are obviously God
1: ordained. <laughs> right, because I'm the leader and I have the education and yeah, like
4: uh, yeah. we don't get those secured, but what we do get secured is a furthering of unity and solidarity and oneness yeah. in the spirit.
1: And we get to participate in God working by His presence in 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 His church. We get to participate in that, and it unfolds oftentimes in surprising ways, but it's always beautiful, um, and it's always way better than you know some result that we get to control. The mm. outcome of, mm. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. By the way, uh, you must give up efficiency, mm. and you must give up the goal of trying to build the church to three thousand in two years.
4: <laughs> All right. Well, well I'm, often, I'm out. I'm out.
2: Patient, patience, fermenting of the gospel, yeah. and this is where the true work shall be. Amen.
4: Yes, the fruit of the spirit is control, efficiency.
1: Success? Like coercion. Excellent. Uh, You'll yum.
2: never hear Ben Sternkey and Matt Tebby at the Global Leadership Summit. Sorry, guys.
4: Uh, well, <laughs> we'll let that dream die. <laughs> so many dreams die. So many right dreams die. Efficiency. Uh, Dave, we fame. love you, man. We appreciate your friendship and your example. Um, how can people connect with you and learn more about this process you're talking about?
2: Yeah, yeah, we're always talking on this stuff at Fit Chest. Uh, that's my Twitter handle, Facebook Fitchest. You can't, you can't become a friend of mine because I'm, I'm book overbooked, and I don't go want to go to an author page. But you can, uh, what do you call it? follow, yeah. and then the discussions go on all day. So uh, feel free to join me on those discussions because I love them there. I will mm-hmm. say,
4: I will say this: like blog blog articles no longer have good discussions. Um, and most social media discussions are a waste of time. But Dave, your Facebook wall has some of the most constructive and challenging conversations uh, that I know of on social media. So true. I heartily— well,
2: thank you. Good use of social media. And I media. love them. Yeah. I benefit from them yep. yeah. very much.
4: And if you want to hear more about what Dave's talking about, his book, Faithful Presence, Seven Practices for a Church mm-hmm. that uh, is Jacked Up, is uh, I think that's the subtitle, is uh, a, good, <laughs> a
1: good resource for that. That is good. And then The Church of Us versus Them, when does that come out? Yeah,
2: I also have like 10 copies uh, of the galleys uh, of The Church of Us versus Them, which comes out in June. For anybody who will give me an Amazon review, I have been given permission to give you those and a free copy. So email me at fitchest at gmail.com and I'll do that.
4: Oh, boy. All right. All right. Great, Dave. Thanks, man. God bless you. Love you guys. See you next time.
2: See you along the way. All right. May God bless and flourish the kingdom through this podcast.
1: Amen. Amen. See you, bro.
3: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join